Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember that there are many reasons for us to hope. Both those things that you have worked in the history of the world and in our lives remind us of your faithfulness and your good purpose to finally bring us to your heavenly kingdom. Pray that we would keep our eyes focused on these good things and not lose hope, but praise you always. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> How many of you have ever felt hopeless before? I know we're not a super interactive congregation during sermons, and that's perfectly fine, but I saw at least two of you raise your hand, so (laughs) at least two of you are honest. Hopelessness is somewhat a universal feeling and experience for human beings. Whether it be from just feeling lonely and feeling overwhelmed by whatever your situation is and not knowing who you can call and just feeling like, I don't have the answers and I don't know anybody who can give me the answers. Or chasing after the promises of the world and when that finally lets you down and breaks your heart, feeling empty and worn out. Or just from watching too much news and seeing where the world is going and feeling Hopeless against that. In fact, I would say that hopelessness might be the biggest and hardest pandemic or problem that we are facing in our world today. People are hopeless. I I believe this is why we see so many presidential candidates parading themselves around like the Messiah, saying, well, if you vote for me, I'm going to make all your problems go away. They don't say it exactly like that, but they, they flesh that out so that you think, if I vote for this person, everything is going to be wonderful. I believe this hopelessness is why we see so many young people becoming violent or addicted to drugs because after chasing after all the things that the world has said, this will give you hope and make your life better, and they realize it doesn't. They become hopeless And try to numb that pain away. Where there is no hope, where there is no hope in these things, these people, when these people place their hope in the world, it will fail them. And we will face such times ourselves. But my friends, the world has not changed a whole lot in the 3,000 years since David wrote Psalm 139 that we prayed this morning. Now, it takes a while for us to realize that David is struggling with something. It doesn't get till verse 4 that he actually brings out his complaint. Instead, it starts at an interesting place. It starts with verse 1 and 2, where David writes, I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name 
and your world. This is an interesting statement, right? And, and as I said, if you just read this, you'd think that this was a song of, of praise and joy. But then as you read on, we realize, no, there's, there's something else going on. But, but David starts at a point of praise. He doesn't start by listing out all of his complaints, but he starts by recognizing who God is and what he has done in the world. First, God has revealed himself to his people. In the Old Testament, it was by revealing himself to his people as Lord or as Yahweh, revealing his holy name to his people. And to us, now in the new covenant, he has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. But if you think about the fact that God reveals himself to people, this is an amazing thing. We tend to trivialize God and, and just we'll think, oh, God is this or God is that, and, and make this construct and not realize how big God is. Think for a moment about the universe. Just, just read about it later today if you're bored. And think about how big the universe is. You can just think about how big the world is, right? There are people that would take us half a day to fly just to see, or a whole day to fly just to see. That's all the way around the other side of the world. The world is massive, and the universe is so much bigger. You know, you zoom out, and you see a picture of the world in the, in the scope of the universe, and it's not even the size of a pinprick. God created everything, which means God is bigger than the universe itself. That is amazing. But what's even more amazing is that in through the Holy Scripture, he has revealed himself to you and I. What an amazing thing. David goes on to remember that the Lord is holy. This is not just a word that we like to put in script, that, that, that the authors just put in Scripture because it was a nice word, but it reminds us of the moral attributes of God. Not that in God there is only goodness and no evil. In God there is only kindness and no cruelty. In God there is only justice and no injustice. There is nothing or evil that can reside in God. David goes on and remembers God's steadfast love. That his love will never fail his people. Paul likewise remembers this love in Romans as he writes that wonderful verse that I think that we all have heard time and again, but it bears hearing yet another time. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that is Christ. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friends, his love endures forever. His love is steadfast. It will not fail you. And David knows this with his whole heart. 
This doesn't just mean his like center of emotion, but for those in his time and place, it meant his whole being, and in fact, what we would often refer to as the mind. He understands that God loves him, that God cares for him, that God has revealed himself to him. And this is what his whole being does. It gives thanks and praise to the Lord because of the Lord's name and word has been placed above all else in creation. Is this not a reason for hope? When I was just finishing up my freshman year of college, I went and spent a summer at the Grand Canyon, and I worked in one of the restaurants there, and, and this, there's a lot of wonderful things that came out of that season. But I was also young and stupid. Now I'm old and stupid, but <clears throat> I don't know if that's good that you laughed or not, but here we are. <clears throat> but I went, and I think I had like $40, and I was like, well, it's going to work out. And of course, shortly thereafter, I ran out of money for food, but one day, I, I was working initially in, in the ice cream shop, and, and the manager at the restaurant came over and was like, you wanted to try waiting tables, didn't you? And I was like, I, I guess. And I, I never, for the life of me, ever wanted to try waiting tables, but I was like, sure, why not? And I, I ended up really liking it, but in that time, I got cash tips, and I had finally run out of my $40, and I had enough money to make it till the next paycheck. And I always remember that as this really vivid moment where God provided something that I tangibly needed in that moment. And this is how David concludes this section of the psalm as well. He remembers that on the day I called and you answered me, my strength and my soul you increased. David concludes by remembering how God had provided for him through whenever he called upon him. And this is why it helps us to remember like that little story for myself. Sometimes when I'm struggling with like wondering what's next or when I'm struggling with just trusting the Lord, I remember that moment. I remember, yes, God was faithful in that little thing. I think he can be faithful today in whatever it is that I'm facing. This is why it helps to remember, this is why so many Christians have kept journals of how God has answered their prayers, of what the Lord is doing in their life. Because it can give you hope when you're discouraged. It can give you peace when your soul is not at rest. And it can give you strength as David was strengthened. When it seems that the world is too mad and too crazy to continue on. And then David seems to take a shift at verse 4 as he, t- he turns his focus to the kings of the earth. And it's then when we get to this fourth verse and onward that we start to realize I think David might actually be a little discouraged as he's writing this psalm. He doesn't just come right out and, and say it. Instead, he notes how the kings of the earth will praise the Lord. Not just some of the kings, not just a handful of presidents or prime ministers or, 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 or kings themselves, but all the kings will praise the Lord. David shifts from speaking about something present to knowing that something will one day be fulfilled. 
in the future. This promise that the kings of the earth will praise, praise the Lord starts to be fulfilled in Christ, who is the king of kings and lords of lords. But it won't be fully fulfilled until the second coming. And we see this kind of spelled out and traced throughout Scripture. It starts here and other places. And then Isaiah foresees a day that he says, Every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance to God. Which St. Paul then picks up again in Romans and Philippians as he foresees this day that every person will recognize that Jesus is Lord. You see, a day will come when the whole world will recognize that Jesus is Lord. And this is another point of hope. For now, and gives us hope for now, right? Because one can look at all that God has done in our lives, in the history of the world, in the world around us. And then we can also look at the promise of of what God will do in Christ's second coming. And then Davis, again, seems to shift his focus, but it's, it's really related on how God is relating to the world that he's created. We start with how God relates to the kings, and then he shifts to two groups of people in verse 6. He shifts to how God will relate to the lowly and to the haughty, to those who are meek, to those who might be without hope, and to those that are proud and say, I don't need any help at all. Something that I think would be a really interesting exercise if if I had a lot of time on my hands, or or you could do it if if you wanted to, is to, to trace through Scripture how God either uses the lowly to exercise his purpose, or uses the haughty to make them lowly in order that they might know and understand how God alone can be depended upon. Just off the top of my head, here are a few examples of how God, throughout the history of salvation, has used or made those people lowly. Adam and Eve, he plants in the Garden of Eden. He plants to be solely dependent upon him. Abraham, he calls out of his home, out of his comfortable place, to be alone, to trust in God alone. His only support being Yahweh. Moses is a man with a stutter, and he says, go lead my people out of Egypt and represent them to the king of Egypt. Hannah, whose song we read this morning, was barren, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed that the Lord would give her a child. And one day, she gave him a son who would become a great prophet in Israel. And that's the song which we read this morning, which George read for us this morning from the Old Testament. This prophet, this son, is Samuel, the prophet who would go on to anoint David. David, who was the youngest son from a little tribe in Bethlehem. He called Jeremiah who was young, and who said to God when God called him, I don't know how to speak. And he called Jeremiah to become a prophet who we all read today, who called his nation to repentance. 
And my friends, he saved the world through a baby born to a virgin, to a poor family in a bad part of the country. And he taught, and that baby grew up to teach that the meek shall inherit the earth. Because this baby was God who took upon himself flesh, who made himself weak for our sake, who died the death of shame, so that he might bring us through our own spiritual deaths into life. I hope now you see how God honors and uses the lowly. If you look around this world and feel hopeless, if you look around this world and feel like there is nothing that you can do, Christ regards you. If you feel weak, as though you have no strength, as though you can bring nothing to the table, Christ is with you. But if you came here this morning feeling full of yourself, feeling like you don't need Jesus, like you don't need any help at all, well, at least Ted didn't. <laughs> David tells you one thing. The Lord observes you from far away. My friends, pray that you would learn to have a humble and lowly heart so that you will know what trusting in Him is. Because this trusting in Him is our hope in this world. Finally, verses 7 and 8 end out our psalm, and it's another shift in focus. And we get to the truth of the matter. We go from a remembrance of what the Lord has done to an active, what David is planning to do right now. And he writes, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will, now looking forward, fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. You do not forsake the works of your hands. You see, now we learn that David is certainly facing some sort of hardship, some sort of discouragement, just as you and I so often face. But he remembers this promise that the Lord will see him through. He remembers all that God has done and all that God has promised he will do. So that in remembering this, he will see him through his trouble. As David concludes this psalm, we are reminded that again, of Jesus' steadfast love, that love which we read about from in Romans, that we can never be separated from. We remember the works or purposes of his hand never cease. The Lord never stops. The Lord never sleeps. The Lord's moral character of holiness never changes. <clears throat> So you and I can have hope because he is bringing us to a place where even the most wicked of persons, the cruelest and most awful of leaders, the most powerful and vicious will know that the Lord 
that Christ is Lord. You and I can have hope today because we know, because you know, that his love will never fail. You and I can have hope today because his purpose, his ends, always benefits his people. And that will never end until his coming again. You and I can have hope because the works of his hands are never finished until the kingdom of, of kingdom comes. It is God's good purpose to see his work completed in you and in the whole world. Remember, my friends, all that the Lord has done. Remember, my friends, all that the Lord is doing and all that he has promised to do and cling to that hope today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost.